Larry often seemed to be at odds with other people. In his disagreements within his family, he placed a higher priority on winning the argument rather than being reconciled. In conflicts at work, he seldom would listen to an opposing point of view. In his church, he was a a self-appointed judge of the pastors and elders, regularly telling others whether or not the actions of the leaders were correct. And Larry caused a lot of discord because in virtually every situation he was convinced that he was right and he was perpetually annoyed that other people just didn't get it. And it's no surprise that Larry had a lot of unsatisfying relationships. He was full of pride and, like many of us, he was oblivious to that fact. And sadly, he left a lot of damage in his wake because that's where pride always leads. Pride so often results in wounded spirituality, wounded relationships, and wounded churches. Because pride causes us to put ourselves ahead of God and others. The antidote is a healthy dose of humility. And humility is vital in our lives at all times, but particularly when we're dealing with relationships where sin and conflict are present. That's what the Apostle Paul addresses in the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Brothers and sisters, Paul writes, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. We need to remember that this letter is addressed to churches in conflict. False teachers in the region of Galatia are claiming that you cannot be saved by Jesus alone. You also must follow the Jewish law. And they are attacking the Apostle Paul who claims, no, 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 all you need is Jesus. And Paul is right. Because the gospel, the good news from God, is never Jesus plus something else. The gospel is Jesus. The crucified, resurrected Jesus who alone can rescue us from our sins and give us a fresh start in life. The gospel is God's message of grace, not law. Law says that we earn our way into God's family. Grace says our membership in God's family is an undeserved gift. All we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. And yet for teaching this foundational truth about grace, Paul is being sinned against by false teachers. And this is not a new issue because in every church, people can and do fall into various sinful behaviors. None of us is immune. Whatever the sin though, 
Whatever the sin, Paul offers a solution. He says we respond by pursuing restoration. The goal is not to kick people when they're down or drive them away, but help them be restored to a right relationship with God and his church. That's why throughout this letter to a group of wounded churches, Paul emphasizes the need for grace. The need for a humble spirit that puts Jesus and his church first. And Paul continues in that vein here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 6 by urging believers to care for one another and restore one another. If we value God's family, then we must be relentless in pursuing this goal. And the first step, as Paul says, always is to approach the other person with gentleness. We approach them with the humble recognition that we also are imperfect people subject to temptation. And we express our desire to be at peace. What Paul writes here, though, is not the whole teaching of Scripture on this subject. Because while Paul lays out an essential first step, we often are faced with a practical problem. What do we do if a person refuses to be restored? Well, fortunately, Jesus anticipated that problem, so he, got, he lays out for us a four-step process of reconciliation in Matthew chapter 18. And just to summarize what Jesus says, he tells us that first we go privately to that person for a one-on-one conversation. And if our initial conversation is unsuccessful, then we go again, and this time we take someone with us to help mediate and reinforce the importance of restoration. And if we're still unsuccessful, then we go again, but this time we officially involve the church, perhaps by taking along an elder or another church leader to that meeting. And here's what's really important. Throughout these conversations, the goal always is peace and restoration, not judgment and discord. And yet, far too often, when there's sin, when there's conflict, we follow our own worst impulses instead of following Jesus. After all, Jesus never says, why don't you go out and gossip? It's going to be so helpful to talk about people behind their back. And yet we do. Do you realize that when we gossip, we commit an act of spiritual arson? We're lighting a match and starting a fire. Now, sometimes the problem isn't speech, but silence. We may hold on to a hurt or hold on to a grudge against someone and never speak with them personally. Or we may try to ignore the problem and just hope that it goes away. If we adopt any of these approaches, though, we're acting like peace breakers or peace fakers. And then we're not living by the Spirit because Jesus wants us to be peacemakers. And the only way to make peace is to address issues truthfully in direct conversations where the goal is restoration. And by the way, 
While Jesus specifically is talking about restoration in the church, these general principles can be really useful in our marriages and in our families and in our friendships. Direct conversations and strategically including others with the goal of restoration, oh, that can help mend broken relationships. Sadly, though, even if we follow this process from Jesus, some people refuse to be restored. So what do we do if multiple attempts fail? Jesus says we then take step four, and we treat them like an unrepentant unbeliever. Ouch. You know, the Apostle Paul goes even farther in The book of Titus chapter 3 verses 10 to 11 where he writes these words. Warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. After that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. Now these are strong words from Jesus and from Paul. Yet they highlight an essential point. The unity of God's people cannot be treated lightly. So those who refuse to listen and who pursue their own agenda of division instead of restoration are not in line with God's will. In such cases, there sometimes needs to be some tough love to protect the church from continuing discord. Now, as I said last week, this, is, this was not just an issue for our spiritual ancestors in Galatia. It's a perpetual challenge for the church in every generation. And we're dealing with that in the churches today. And our current social and political environment is just making the problem worse. And my earnest prayer is that we will not embrace the divisive, destructive attitude of our culture. Instead, we will follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. My prayer is that we will bear each other's burdens and relentlessly pursue the unity of Christ's church. My prayer is that we will make every effort to be at peace with God and one another. This only will happen, though, if we embrace humility. We'll never get there if we're prideful. And every time we remember that we are saved by grace alone, it ought to burst our bubble of pride. Let's face it, on my own, I am not good enough for God. And neither are you. We have no right to boast about our connection with the Lord. We have been rescued by his undeserved grace, which ought to prompt us to treat each other some humility. And that's the attitude that Paul encourages in verses 3 and 4. And we take a healthy step in that direction when we ask God to view ourselves objectively so we don't get puffed up with pride. We test ourselves, as Paul says here. And we do that by measuring our behavior against God's standards. Comparing ourselves to others is a waste of time. You see, my spirituality isn't determined by you and your spirituality isn't determined by me. It's what God says 
That's what matters. So we test ourselves. And, and if we allow God to help us get a more balanced view of ourselves, then we're going to be better equipped to help restore each other when we fall into sin. When we're filled with gracious humility, we're less likely to be judgmental or vindictive or divisive. When we're filled with gracious humility, we will do everything out of a sincere concern for the other person and for the well-being of the whole church. When we're filled with gracious humility, we'll carry each other's burdens. We'll want to restore each other. Because each of us will be able to say, it's not about me, it's about we. So I started this message by telling you about Larry, who was this man of pride who stirred up a lot of unnecessary conflict in his relationships, and it never got addressed in his family, nor at his workplace. And a lot of people in his church recognized the problem, and many people in his church gossiped about the problem. But for a long time, no one did anything. Finally, a man named Frank decided to follow the biblical pattern and to pursue reconciliation for this broken man. And he went to Larry personally and he spoke to him graciously and gently, but Larry refused to listen. So Frank went again, and this time he took Ben with him. Again, the conversation was unsuccessful. So Frank went a third time, and he brought two elders with him. And they tried hard to help Larry see that the continuing discord of his actions was harming the church. Because of Larry, people were focused on conflict rather than on Jesus. Larry, though, was self-righteously stubborn. He believed it was his God-appointed role to stir things up so people would listen to him and then take action according to his views. And so after much prayer, the church leaders took the painful final step laid out by Jesus and Paul. And they decided that they needed to ask Larry to leave the church. And they didn't do this out of anger, but in sorrow. And they did it to protect the unity of the church. Once Larry left, they didn't shun him. They continued to pray for him and reach out to him. Many church members continued to befriend him. And this went on for about four years. And then somehow, some way, the Holy Spirit got a hold of Larry's mind and heart. He finally was willing to do what Paul says here, to test his own actions and look at himself realistically. He realized that he needed to be rescued from his unrelenting pride by the grace of Jesus Christ. So one day he fell to his knees in prayer and he repented. And the next day he went back to the elders of the church to confess his sin, to apologize, and to ask for forgiveness, which they were only too delighted to give. Larry was welcomed back into the fellowship and the ripples of his change of heart have been incredibly far-reaching. Today, his presence in that church is life-giving rather than destructive. 
His presence adds joy and peace to that church as he helps to carry the burdens of his brothers and sisters in the faith. And he's mended broken relationships in his family and in his workplace. Larry learned to embrace a lifestyle of humility that helped restore him to God, that helped restore him to church, and that enables him to live in peace with others. And that's what God wants for every follower of Jesus and for every church. May we embrace God's grace. And then may we experience the joy that comes from a life of Christ-centered humility as we live as peacemakers in unity with other members of God's family. That is what God wants. And in just a minute, we're going to celebrate communion, which is a vivid expression of this grace of God that we've been talking about. The bread and the cup remind us that Jesus loved you and me enough to die for us. And he died and he rose so that we can be at peace with God and at peace with others. So that we can love God and love others. So as we share in communion, let's celebrate God's peace. Let's celebrate the grace of God. And may that cultivate within us a desire to live lives of gracious humility.